Welcome to the Safetyologist podcast, where we dive deep into fascinating discussions on just about any topic. I am your host, Gary Marsh, and today I have an intriguing topic to discuss, the biological passport in cycling and the challenges of detecting doping. Man, that's a lot for one sentence, right? <laughs> anyway, after watching the last three days of the Tour de France, I just can't help but to talk about this. First and foremost, I want to make sure that you guys know I am not a doctor, nor do I have any affiliation with anyone or anything discussed in today's podcast. Sorry about the bump there. I just wanted to discuss some important aspects of the anti-doping in cycling. All of you who are watching the tour this year will know exactly what I'm going to talk about. It's Tade Pogaccia. Tade is a Slovenian and is 24 years old as of this Tour de France. He rides for UAE Team Emirates, uh, probably one of the wealthiest teams in the sport right now. He won the 2020 and 21 editions of the Tour de France, went in three different jerseys during each tour, a feat unseen in nearly four decades. I'm actually surprised also to find out that he's five foot 10 and weighs approximately 145 pounds. Anyway, um, for me, that seems to be quite heavy as a cyclist. I'm a big guy, mind you, but I'm a sprinter, uh, or at least I used to be. Anyway, he seems to be a little bit bigger than most of the, of the general climbing population. So, I, I kind of like that fact that you see a little bit heavier young man out there racing against these really, really tiny guys and being able to keep up and actually surpass them. Uh, winning two tours is no small feat. Anyway, if you were watching the tour on Friday, you would have seen Jonas Vindegaard launch a major attack on Tade and he couldn't stay with him. Now, fast forward to Saturday and again Sunday, and you see Tade gain both uh, time on both days. So how is that? This makes me anticipate Tuesday when the race kicks off again. Yeah, Monday's a rest day. Yay. So that's why I'm actually doing this podcast today. Okay. Let me finish this little introduction with details on Jonas. Jonas is a 26-year-old who weighs in at around 133 pounds. He is a Danish professional cyclist who rides for Team Jumbo Visma. He won the 2022 Tour de France. Vindegaard started as a youth rider for various Danish teams, making his break as a senior rider on the... Oh, shoot. Um... The UCI Continental Team, Colo Quick Cult, and I believe it was back in 2016. Not bad for a guy who worked in a fish factory, right? Okay, roll into the music. Let's dig in. Okay, let's start by explaining what the biological passport is and how it functions in the world of cycling. I had several questions I needed to understand, so I will tell you what those questions are and then what I found. The Biological Passport is a program in implemented by the Union Cyclist International, uh, UCI, and I think they say international. I don't know. Anyway, uh, who cares? And 
other sport governing bodies that are in collaboration with the World Anti-Doping Agency, otherwise known as WADA. The biological passport is a tool used to monitor biological variables of athletes over time, aiming to detect changes that may indicate the use of prohibited substances or doping practices. When I read this, I found I found it fascinating. So that's uh, stirred up my first question. So what specific variables does biological passport monitor? The biological passport primarily focuses in on, let's see if I can get these words right, hematological variables such as red blood cell count, hemoglobin concentration, and hematocrit levels. I think I said that right. I'm not quite sure. If if I missaid it, let me know in the comments below. Make fun of me. I don't give a shit. But anyway, it also includes other biomarkers like steroid profiles and markers of growth hormone abuse. The variables are measured through regular blood and urine tests. This spurred another question. So my second question is this. How does the biological passport establish an athlete's baseline? This is what I found. Initially, an athlete's baseline values are established by conducting multiple tests during a period of normal training and competition. These baseline values serve as a reference point for future tests. Individual variations and physiological, not psychological, although psychological is my thing. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, physiological factors are taken into account while establishing the baseline. This brings up my third question. What happens after the baseline is established? After the baseline is established, subsequent tests are conducted at regular intervals, usually throughout an athlete's career. The results are compared to the established baseline and previous test results. Deviations outside the expected range can indicate potential doping practices or manipulation of athletes' biological variables. Yes, it brought me to another question. Question number four, are there any challenges or loopholes that athletes can exploit to manipulate the system? Of course there is. That's why we're seeing the things that we're seeing right now in the Tour de France. And that's why we are seeing the things that we have been seeing since shit, since I was a kid watching um, shortly after, I don't know. Who, let me let me think about that for a minute. Um, yeah, I can't even remember. I think it's been it's been a long time. Uh, I don't know that there was doping back in the eighties uh, during the time frame of Greg LeMond and that whole scenario because those guys really fought, you know, to to race and you could physically see them lose tons of weight in the process of that twenty one day race. This race, no. And yeah, I get it. There are tons of things these guys can do to recover and all that crap. But at the end of the day, drugs and cycling are a thing. And this is my opinion. We all have our own opinions. You're probably not going to like my opinion. Or maybe you do. In either case, I'm just going to tell you about the biological passport and how that works. And I kind of wanted to get that out just to make sure you understood where I stand. Does that mean I'm not going to watch the tour anymore? Hell no. 
I fucking love the tour. I love the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta España, uh, all the the classics. You name it, I watch it. I love the sport of cycling. I've been cycling since I was a, a tiny little kid. I'm in my late 50s now, and I'm still cycling, although I'm getting surgery for a knee, uh, partial knee replacement in August. So I've gained quite a bit of weight, even though I'm still riding the trainer, I haven't been able to ride the long rides uh, out on the roads and on the trails. So that's kind of a, uh, it's depressing. It's fucking depressing. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the biological passport, shall we? While the biological passport system is designed to minimize the chances of athletes gaming the system, it's important to acknowledge that no system is foolproof. Some individuals may attempt to cheat by employing techniques like microdosing, manipulation of uh, baselines, or blood manipulation. Of course, anti-doping authorities say that they employ various measures to detect cheaters and mitigate these risks. So I wonder if they find Tade's performance suspect over the last couple of days. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. While I was pondering this, another question popped into my head. My fifth question is, how do anti-doping authorities detect these cheaters? This is what I found. Anti-doping organizations conduct targeted tests on athletes who show suspicious patterns or significant deviations in their biological variables. They employ longitudinal analysis, expert evaluation, intelligence gathering, and investigations. And there's a lot of fucking ands in this one, isn't there? And rely on technological advancements to enhance detection capabilities. Now, I could not find details on the technological advancements UCI and water refer to. I am guessing they are trying to keep that secret so they can catch them fucking cheaters. Anyway, (laughs) I am sure it's a constant battle between the uh, anti-doping authorities and the athletes who seek to cheat. That brings me to question number six. How effective has the biological passport been in curbing doping and cycling? Now, I actually found that the biological passport has has been pretty instrumental in detecting potential doping practices by monitoring physiological changes associated with doping. It provides a more comprehensive and individualized approach to anti-doping efforts in sports. And I think it may help to, to, uh, to, 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 uh, discourage the use of performance enhancing substances and also maintain integrity of competitions. That's commendable, right? Let me know your thoughts. Now, as I wrap up, I do have one more question. Number seven is, what do I think the future of anti-doping measures are in cycling? Well, (laughs) the fight against doping and cycling is an ongoing battle 
without a doubt. The future does hold promising advancements in technology and testing methods, which allow for more accurate and sensitive detection of doping practices. Additionally, I think increased intelligence gathering, collaboration with law enforcement agents, and stringent sanctions will continue to play a crucial role in preserving the fairness of integrity of the sport. That's my insights on the biological passport and and the challenges of detecting doping in cycling. It has been an enlightening research project for sure. I hope I was able to shed light on what I feel is an important topic in the world of cycling to you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Safetyologist podcast. Stay tuned for more intriguing discussions. Until next time, I'm Gary Marsh. Later.